Please find your seats and turn with me to both Luke 19, if you put your finger there, a tab there, and also 1 Peter chapter 2. Today as we celebrate, and we do celebrate, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as our King, as the King, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we have a unique perspective today looking back at that event. I mean, we have 2,000 years have gone by, and we can look back, and we have church history and those who have gone before us, and we even have a unique look today through the lenses of Peter. I mean, Peter was there. Peter was one who was a part of the parade. He was part of the choir that was singing Hosanna, that were singing the praises to God. And he experienced all the events that we celebrate in this Holy Week. And today we're going to go not only to Luke's Gospel and, and have Luke remind us and tell us this incredible story the story of the King of Kings who has come to rescue us. But also, we're going to go to Peter. And Peter, we're going to look through his lenses, and he's telling us the so what of this story. He's telling us what this really means, because even Peter, who was there as a first-hand eyewitness, he didn't get it at first. It took more. It took, it took the Holy Spirit coming. It took some time for him to really see and God explaining to him this incredible event. So as we gather, we gather from a perspective of time, of being away from the event, but yet through the Holy Spirit having Peter bring us there to this week. There are events in our life, events in history, that really do change the entire course of events. There are things that happen that really shape the way we live and and the way we view our world, and maybe the one we can most readily think of is, is 9-11. I mean, since 9-11, we live in a different world. And, and maybe for our fathers or grandfathers, it's World War II. Or maybe it's the invention of computers or space travel. But there's no event that has changed our world more than the event that take place in the Holy Week. Listen, let me say it again. There has never been an event, and there will never be another event that has so shaped our world, our understanding, our understanding of who we are, our understanding of God, than this Holy Week. So let us uh, turn to Luke's Gospel, knowing that we'll also go to Peter, and he'll tell us the so what of this. Luke chapter 19, we're going to turn together to God's holy and errant word. Luke 19. Verse 30, Jesus had sent his disciples on an errand. He knew the time had come. And he knew that scripture had to be fulfilled. And part of the scripture uh, that had to be fulfilled is that this king of kings and lord of lords would have to come in on a donkey. Not on a a white steed, not with a stallion. Maybe you would think a a king and the lord of lords would come in. This, This king, this lowly, humble king would come as scripture would tell us would come. On a donkey. And in verse 30, we see, we pick up the story. Going into the villages ahead of you, Jesus had told the disciples there, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. 
So those who were there, who, who were sent, went away and found it just as he had told them. And they were untying the colt. Its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, If they remain silent, the stones will cry out. Interesting that Luke takes us to these stones and Jesus says, if the disciples didn't cry out, the stones would. And now Peter is going to use that imagery, the imagery of living stones, stones that will cry out. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 and see this, how wonderfully Peter unpacks this for us. 1 Peter 2 verse 4. And coming to him, coming to Jesus, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by man, men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. Let us pray together. Oh, Father God, if there was ever a Sunday that we need to hear from you and your spirit needs to come and to fill this broken vessel, it's today. Because today we talk about your son's entry. We talk about the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has stepped into time and has turned history on himself. And God has given us life and meaning and purpose. And Father, we need to hear your voice today. We need to understand the meaning of what happened 2,000 years ago. We need to understand what it means that we in Christ are living stones. And God, I am unable in my own ability to communicate the vastness and the beauty of this truth. So Father, I ask for your glory and for the kingdom of your Son, His sake, that you would come with power. That God, you'd open up our ears to hear so we can hear your voice and open up our minds to understand your truth to soften our hearts so that we can receive it and embrace it, and to empower our feet so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
Father God, the things that are true, the things that contain the good news of Jesus in the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus? But the things that I say that are merely my opinion or that are wrong, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. Oh God, we pray that you and you alone receive glory and we receive great joy and challenge. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'd open up the Jerusalem Times the next day of the events that we just read, I would imagine the events that we just read, although they are significant to us, although our kids come and wave palm branches as we celebrate this triumphal entry, it would be my guess that in the Jerusalem Times, on the day after these events, this event may not have even made front page news. But if we did open up that newspaper My mind's eye takes us to a story that probably would be written, and the story would sound something like this. A small gathering of people showed up today to welcome Rabbi Jesus, a rabbi from Galilee. The small group consisted mostly of his disciples. Many children were there, a few other followers, as they made their way into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. The Pharisees were there. To take uh, as the police, the Pharisees were there to police the uh, activities to make sure that what was done was done in an honoring way. But then there was trouble. Jesus and his band of followers entered the temple. And once he got in the temple, he went berserk. This Jesus, this rabbi, started overthrowing the, ta- the tables. He started chasing out the money changers. He was driving out the animals. We're not quite sure what caused him to respond in such an unusual way. In a related story, a group of Jesus' disciples were seen admiring the temple. They were looking at the beautiful stones of the temple, and Jesus predicted that the temple would crumble. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that he would rebuild the temple in, third, in three days. You see, they they missed the real story. All those at that event, even those who were crying Hosanna, those who were saying glory to God in the highest, couldn't really see, couldn't fully see the events of that day that were unfolding. Because my brothers and sisters in Christ, all of the world was changing. All that was old, all that we related to God was fading away. God was ushering in a new day. He was ushering a a new day and a new way for us to relate to God, and to worship God. All things were becoming new. They had a story, but they didn't see the full story. They didn't realize that Zechariah's prophecy that a new king was coming was being fulfilled. They didn't realize that a whole new way of living and a whole new way of worshiping was coming to fruition. All of God's promises, God who would promise through the prophet Isaiah that there was one who would come. And the one who would come, who is Jesus, was this cornerstone. And when he said cornerstone, Isaiah was basically saying this, all of history is going to turn on him. Anyone who wants to build their life and have life and meaning must build on him. The one that history is rushing toward has arrived. The one who is God's own son has come to make all things new. This triumphal entry would take Jesus into Jerusalem and eventually into the temple. And there we see the newness begin in the temple itself. I love, I love uh, what uh, 
Mel Gibson captures in the Passion of the Christ in this very uh, poignant scene where Jesus is carrying his cross. He's carrying his cross to his death and and he falls at the way of the cross and as he looks up, he sees his mother and I'll never forget what he says. It was just so riveting. It just stunned me when I heard it. He looked up and he says, I am making all things new. It's true. Jesus has come and he made all things new, including our lives and including the way we worship and including the temple. When we think of the temple, it was the central piece, uh, the most significant piece in the Israelites' history. The temple was a centerpiece of their religion at the time of Jesus. And Jesus is going to come into the temple. And John 2, verse 21 says that Jesus says that he is the temple. I mean, we got to realize that the temple to the Israelites at that time, this was the place where they were to meet with God. This was the place that they were to go. They were to journey. This was the place that had the Holy of Holies. And Jesus comes into the temple. He says, I am the temple. I am the place that you meet with God. And we realize that Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the Father. There's not a physical location that we go to to go into God's presence. And the radical nature of Jesus, that he would go into the temple and declare, I am the true temple. If you want access to God, it's not through these walls. It's not through this building. Access to God is through me. Oh, what a stir that caused. I mean, they they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him right away. You see, the temple was a place of worshiping God. The temple was a place that they went to not only be in God's presence, but to worship him. And Jesus came along the scene. He says, I am very God. Worship me. It's not a place you go to worship God. As you worship me, you are worshiping God. No wonder they picked up stones to kill him. You see, the temple was a place of sacrifice. When we read the stories, we read the stories of Jesus cleansing the temple. What was he doing? What was he clearing out? Well, he's clearing out all those animals. Why were those animals all there? What was up with that? Um, And it was because those animals were there so that people could come into God's presence. They could come to worship God. They knew they were sinners, and they couldn't get into a holy God's uh, uh, presence without a sacrifice because Scripture told them, listen, there has to be a shedding of blood for any forgiveness of sins. And so all those animals are there for a reason, so that people could buy them to slaughter them, so the priests could slaughter them, so that they could have a sacrifice. And Jesus comes in the temple and says, I'm the sacrifice, not these animals. I'm God. I'm God's lamb that he has sent as a sacrifice for our sins. Oh, what a paradigm shift this is. You see, the temple was a place that they went to hear God's word. And it was Jesus who says, I am God's word. I am the eternal word of God. I have become flesh and I am dwelling among you. And there's this huge shift. The old is fading away. The old way of meeting with God through the temple. And Jesus is saying, no, the newness begins with me. And in my life, in my life, I will usher you in 
to a relationship with God. And so as we think of this, we turn back to 1 Peter chapter 2. And it's, it's this imagery that Peter is using. He was there. He heard these things. And now through the Holy Spirit being breathed upon him, he sees and understands what Jesus was saying. Jesus is saying, I am the true temple. I am the true foundation. The way that Peter describes this is in verse 4. He calls Jesus a living stone. That which was rejected by man, but is choice and precious in God's sight. He also goes on to quote in verse 6, Isaiah 28, 16, talking about this cornerstone. And if we believe in him, we will not be disappointed. He goes on to quote Psalm 118, verse 22 and verse 7. This stone which the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. And in verse 8, he quotes Isaiah 8, verses 14 and 15, saying he is the stone of stumbling. And here's the deal. Peter is getting it. And he's realizing there's a whole new deal here. It's not about the temple. That's not the place. It's about a person. It's about Jesus. And Jesus has come to rescue us and give us life. And he is that living stone. And and all of a sudden, the curtains fly open. And Isaiah now makes sense. And all these prophecies that God has given, that he is going to provide a cornerstone. And this cornerstone is the one that the church will be built upon. This is the stone that many are going to stumble over, and they still stumble over today, and reject. And Peter say, wow, all of redemptive history is coming into focus. And we're realizing who Jesus is and how we are to build our lives. But there's more. He says in verse 5, is because Jesus is this living stone. Now we, you also, are living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house. He says that we are now living stones, that we have life because we are connected to Christ. We live because He lives. All right, we got to go to Mark. Mark chapter 13. Now, we have this procession, all right? We have the disciples and, and we have uh, them all crying Hosanna uh, in, in this incredible uh, day at the triumphal entry. They go into the temple. You have Jesus. He's throwing over uh, the uh, money changers. He's driving out the animals. And then you have uh, a scene of the disciples leaving the temple. And turn with me to Mark chapter 13. It's amazing what happens here in Mark. Uh, The disciples are looking at the edifice. They're looking at the temple in verse 1. As he was going out of the temple, this is again, this is right on the heels of this triumphal entry. Uh, His disciples, so Peter's voice is here too. He said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And they're admiring it, like, wow, this is it, man. This is this is the edifice of God. And you said your name is here. And look at how beautiful they are. And look at how they talk about your glory. And they were admiring the structure. And Jesus said to them, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. I mean, this is incredible. What he is saying is this. He's saying, listen, you, you and I, Christian, you and I, we are the new temple. 
We are the new temple. It's not about an edifice. It's going to crumble and knock down. Jesus has come. He says, I am the true temple. I'm the true access to God. If you want to have a relationship with God, it's through me. Build your life on me. And as you come to me and you're joined with me in faith, here's what happens. We become living stones. Not those stones that are crumbling. He says, we become the temple of God. We become the place where God dwells. We are living stones because he is our living stone. He says says this, we are being built up into a spiritual house. You know, we know this. Scripture clearly tells us, uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 6, that for all of us who are in Christ, all of us who are a new creation, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that individually we are the temple. But there's more to this. I mean, at Orangewood, we've always been, we've been trying to stress it's not an individual story. It's about us. God has loved us as a community, and he is building these living stones, joining us together so that we become, so that Orangewood becomes a spiritual house of praise. You see, God, we, God has designed us for one another. We need one another. It's, it's not an individual sport. And he says, now we, Christian, listen, we are the temple. We are the place where God dwells. We are living stones. So what? So, so what? Let's talk about the therefore. So what does this mean? It means this. First of all, we live in him. We live in him. The only way that we can truly live is because He is the living stone. Yes, He was dead on Calvary, placed in a tomb, but He lives. The tomb was empty, and because the tomb was empty, God accepted His sacrifice. Because the tomb was empty, we know that our Savior lives, and because He lives, we can live too. And Jesus says, I have come to give you life and give you life abundantly. You and I can only find it in the living stone, nowhere else. So if you have life, and life that reigns, and life that will never be put out because of Christ, rejoice. But if you're here today and you're apart from a relationship with Christ, Scripture clearly says that the only way to truly live is in Him. We also need to know that we not only live in Him, we need to live with one another. That He is building a spiritual house and each stone is of utmost importance you can look at a a foundation a foundation built upon christ and look at all the stones and say well which which stone is most important the question it's it's, it's it's a wrong question they're all important god has joined us to him and he's joined us to one another so so what of that is that we need to be connected to one another another incredible significant aspect of this was um the reality that the Jewish people, the Israelites, worshipped in a specific location. Remember back in John 4 to the woman at the well? There was an interesting dialogue that this Samaritan woman had with Jesus. They were talking about the place of worship. And the Samaritans thought they had their holy hill, a place that God showed up, and they had to go there. And the Jewish folks say, well, they got Jerusalem and Zion and the temple, and that was the place to worship. And here's what the Scripture is telling us. It's not about a physical location. We worship God anywhere, anytime, any place. We come together. We are the temple. We are God's people. And now we are called to worship Him 24-7, not in a specific location. But worship Him wherever we are. And and lastly, what's significant about this point is this. Because we are the temple, individually, 
We've got to keep it clean. I mean, Peter's already told us that because of God's character, because he's holy and undefiled, because he's without sin, and because we are obedient children, we need to be holy. We need to reflect who he is. I mean, just, just this week, I had one of those moments where I was watching one of those news, news networks, and they were showing a sting, a pornography sting, where um, they had people on a computer pretending to be 13- and 14-year-old girls, and, and they were setting up uh, rendezvous with these folks that were on the computer. And, and then they would show them. They'd, they'd, they'd show them come in, and as they open up the door, and they realize that it wasn't what they thought it would, they are trying to interview them. And, you know, it just ripped my heart apart. I thought, what junk! What junk we live in. What an incredible world we live in. And, and Satan would love to have that mess up this bride, this temple here. And he'd love to have it mess up your own life. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection, he says, be clean, be holy, live a holy life. And he put away that junk. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. That's why the church needs to stay beautiful and pure the best we can. And it's hard because we're sinners, every one of us. That's why we have things like the Restoration Committee, and that's why we take serious our vows, and that's why we really will challenge you and, and sometimes get in your face when we feel like you're, you're, you're running in a direction that's not honoring to God. Because why? Because we are a spiritual household. We are the temple. God's Spirit dwells here. And we have a story to tell, and we can't let sin taint that story. Well, not only is there a new temple, but there's this new priesthood as well. I mean, he says in verse 5 that these living stones are being built up a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, in the temple, there's priests. And the priests were performing the duties of God. What God required in His presence, that, those were the priests. They were set aside. And here's what He's saying. It's so beautiful. It makes sense. He says, well, the temple's gone. It's not about that edifice. And not only that, because you are, and Christians, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are also priesthood. We are also priests. We also have duties in which we must please God and we must do as priests of God. We are now priests. You see, in the old way, there's only certain ones who had access to God. The Levites, there are only those who were certain ones because of a, a lineage, because of a heritage that had access to God. And that access was very limited. I mean, they went into the Holy of Holies one person, went into the Holy of Holies one time a year. And there's such good news. Jesus comes, he's got a whole new way. Listen, we now are the temple. We now together are the temple. Not only that, but we now are priests. And we have access to God 24-7. He lives with us. We can go to him anytime when life is just crumbling about us. We don't have to go to a specific location. We don't have to put on a certain dress. We can go immediately to him as his children. And what does he say that we need to offer he says we need to offer a spiritual sacrifice. Why a spiritual sacrifice? And, and this, we can't miss this. I'm going to take you back to John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, John is going to tell us of Jesus' entering the temple for the first time, the beginning of his ministry. And there he goes into the temple 
where those, in verse 14, he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords. And by the way, this Jesus is no wimp. And drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my house, my father's house, a place of business. And they remembered his zeal. What was Jesus doing? I mean, why, why is he going in there and, and, and making a huge scene? I mean, what's the big deal? Listen, we can't miss this. It's so beautiful. Those animals, they were the sacrifice for sin. And when Jesus showed up at the temple, he drove them out saying, they will never work. Get them out of here. They're not going to work because the blood of goats and bulls will never take away the sins of man. The only one who can wash away your sins is me. Jesus goes in the temple and dries out every other sacrifice because he is the only sacrifice. And the only way that we will ever be whiter than snow, the only way we'll ever be robed in righteousness, the only way we'll ever be clean, the only way we can ever be accepted before God is through Jesus' sacrifice, through God's blood, through Jesus' blood. So he drove out that which was old. He drove out that which didn't work. And he stood in the temple. He says, I'm the sacrifice. And here's the incredible news for us now today. The sacrifice we bring, we don't have to bring blood. We don't come in here with goats and bulls and and lambs. We don't have a bloody mess in here. Why? Because his sacrifice was sufficient for all of our sins. And now as priests, we don't come slaughtering animals. Now we come with a different kind of sacrifice. A sacrifice of praise. He says, come and sing hallelujah. Come and sing hallelujah because you are a living stone. Come and sing hallelujah because God is indwelling you. Come and sing hallelujah because you and I are God's children. He'll never change his mind about us. We have an inheritance that's secure. Come and sing. Come and give a sacrifice of your lives, Paul will tell us in Romans 12.1. But it's a spiritual sacrifice. There's no more need. The debt has been paid in full. Listen, maybe you're here and maybe you're trying to say, can God love me? Can I, can I have a relationship with God? Can I sacrifice enough? Can I give enough? Can I do enough? No, you can't, ever. It's already been done, though. But there's such good news is that Jesus drove out all that which is old and all that which wouldn't work. And he says, I am the sacrifice. I am the temple. I am the way home. You want to live? You want to be cleansed? You want life? It's found in me. You know, it goes on to say that we have not only a sacrifice, but a sacrifice acceptable to God. Isn't that great news? Your life, my life, as pathetic as it seems sometimes, can be accepted and offering acceptable to God in Christ Jesus. Listen, we we just can't miss, we can't go by the fact that God in Christ Jesus sees us as acceptable. How often does the mirror tell you you're not? How often does the life tell you that you've just fallen short? I mean, how much do we live sometimes in fear that God's just going to take us away because he's just done with us? In Christ, we are living stones and we are accepted and he'll never change his mind. Is that a triumphal entry? Is that an entry that's done away with the old and brought in the new? Is that not life and life abundantly? You see, the most beautiful part of this story is this. We are a part of the story. The most beautiful part of the story is we're a part of it. 
It's not a story that we stand behind and, and look at and say, wow, that's pretty cool. Jesus came in on a donkey. That's significant. Scripture said about that. Yeah, he is a righteous king and a judge. And wow, how incredible the story. No, listen, this story intersects us because why we as Christians are living stones. We are part of the story. He came to rescue us. He came to make us a household of faith. He came so the story includes us and he builds upon us that story. It's not something that we stand aside and just admire. If we believe we are living stones, you see, that's the key right there. That's the key. It says it twice in this passage. If we believe, in verse 7 it says this, if we believe it's precious to us, it's honor to us, we see Jesus as precious. If we believe, we know he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. If by God's grace we believe and he's opened our eyes and he's given us the gift of faith and we can believe, we do know the truth. We have been set free. And it is most precious to us. Jesus is most precious to us. That's the name above all names. If we believe, it says in the end of this passage, if we don't, we're doomed. Because we're still in our sins. We're still looking for an animal to sacrifice or a life to sacrifice to make it pleasing to God and it just won't work. Listen, if we don't accept this, we are doomed. The old has been ushered away. There is one way. There's one way. It's Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. It says this too. It says, look with me at verse 6. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. What does that mean? I want you to think about this for a minute. I mean, what does it mean to believe in him and not be disappointed? Because how many of us live our lives not with disappointment? It was a dark week for the Jakeses this week. We found out on Friday that my sister has stage 3 cancer and that she'll need to have surgery, hopefully, the next couple days at Shands. She's a young mom. She has four kids, 19, 16, 11, and 7. And he says, those who believe, they will not be disappointed. How do you just justify that? I mean... In the early service, we had the Bradleys. to see Rachel's here. In the early service, we had Butch Doyle. They had cancer. We have those here that are struggling. How do we say to those who believe, you will not be disappointed? Well, here's what it means. It says, for those who believe, the hope is real. God is real. He is a living stone. You are living stones. You and I, Christian, we will live forever. Cancer can't touch us. God is not going to change his mind about us. We live. Listen, life reigns today in us. Life reigns today in my sister because she believes. And it won't fail. I mean, there's no earthly promise that we're, you know, we're not going to have cancer. There's no earthly promise that Life is going to be long. We live in a fallen world, but listen, in the end, the King of kings and the Lord of lords reigns, and he reigns and he rules, and he's alive, and he's active, and he's good. In the end, we know that we'll never hang our head in shame, says, oh, our, our Lord couldn't do it. Our Savior couldn't open up heaven. He couldn't rescue us. We know he lives. And it won't fail. We won't fail. We will be living 
Stones. The Orlando Sentinel this week ran a story. A story of the Gospel of Judas. An amazing week in the world events. I heard that we found the missing link this week. And I also heard that we uh, have this new discovery, the Gospel of Judas. It brings to light all new stuff. And the fact that we have thousands of fragments of the four Gospels that we know that God has given to us, that doesn't matter. We have one fragment of this Gospel of Judas. And we, you know what? We got it all wrong. Judas was a good guy. And the ones who found it, these Gnostics who believe that, that the body and matter is bad, the spirit is good, that Judas was really Jesus' best friend and all that he was doing was setting him free from the body so that he can really live. You know, the story of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I don't know it. There's such confusion out there of the truth, the truth of being living stones and being set free. And it's so important for us to know this truth and communicate it. Listen, we are a spiritual household to speak the truth and to tell of a God who lives in our lives that have been radically changed. And that is what we must do. Because just in Jesus' day, as the religious folks didn't get it, and we see in the Sentinel in the USA and all the newspapers that they still don't get it. By God's grace, do you understand the story? By God's grace, has it intersected your life? By God's grace, do you understand the life that reigns in Christ? Who is this King of glory? Who can make this possible? As the worship team comes, we're going to sing. We're going to sing to this King. The King who has set us free. The King that makes us living stones. The King who is this chief cornerstone. Only Jesus could make it possible. Only Jesus can give us life and life that reigns. Sing to the King. Sing to the King who is a living stone. And the reality, He has made us living stones. And that we are a spiritual household with a story to tell. A story that Jesus lives and He rules and He reigns on high and He is good. And we will live in Him. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank You that You have sent Your Son the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the King of glory, to come and to rule in the reign and to give us life, to bring all things to us that are new, that are real and are alive, to usher out the old, that we truly can have life and life abundantly in Christ. Who is this King of glory? He's your own Son. He's the eternal Word of God. He's our Savior and our hope. And it's in His name we pray. And it's in His name we sing. Amen.